How are we all doing, all right? Yeah? It's lovely outside as well. I'm here, um, uh, just me flying solo today. My wife is speaking somewhere else. The kids are at the grandparents, and um, I have my little baby with me. So it's me and my girl this morning. Uh, and she's doing great. Actually, I'm doing great. <laughs> so, yeah, shout out. Let's, um, let's pray together, shall we? Holy Spirit, thank you so much for your presence already here in this place this morning. I thank you for your people. I thank you for the heart that you have for them. I thank you that the word that you want to bring this morning, I pray that it would galvanize someone. I pray that it will change someone's heart, someone's mind, someone's perspective this morning. I pray that this morning that someone will find freedom. I pray that this morning that someone will find hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I'm just going to grab, grab this. Grab this here. Oh. Sorry, worship team. Can you see my seat? I've got a question for you this morning, and it's up on, this, up on there. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, thank you. It's lovely. You can confer. Are you comfortable in your seat here? Nice. It's lovely, isn't it? It feels good to sit down. And just enjoy other people, this comfort around and good to look about and just absorb the environment. And you know, we're thinking about justice. And it dawned on me, it dawned on me that does someone have to take a stand for me to have this seat? I'll tell you that again. Someone had to take a stand for me to take this seat. And I know that to be true because in this room today, we have different cultures, different ages, different socio-economic backgrounds. We have all walks of life all in this one room. And at one point, that wasn't the case. We know that, right? At one point, that wasn't the case. Somebody had to take a stand so that we could have a seat. Wars were fought. People stood up and fought wars so that we could have a seat here. Lives were torn apart. People were in prison so that we could be free. Families disseminated so that we could have unity. Someone took a stand so that we could have a seat. And you know, this has really rocked me this week because, you know, we've been talking about justice and what's been so incredible about this particular season is that we can, we look to justice for someone else, don't we? We've looked kind of outwards. It's an outward focused thing. It's an outward thing, you know, so we've spoken about all the, you know, the things that have happened across the persecuted church and how we can stand up for women, but it's, it, it sounds like everything is external, but I had to really take a stock and think, who has had, where have I been the result of someone's justice? Where have I been the result of someone's justice? And of course, you know, when I, I started to ponder this, I thought about, you know, the usual heroes, you know, the people that fought for you know, black equality, like people like Martin Luther King and, uh, you know, people like um, Malcolm X or people like Nelson Mandela. And, um, you know, I just felt to myself, in fact, I, I, I stumbled across a, um, a fact. Do you know that in only 1967 that it was legal in every state in America to have an interracial marriage? 1967. And I don't want to embarrass anybody by putting my hands up, but I'm thinking there's some people here that remember the good old 1967 days. 
People remember that day. But only in 1967 was it across America that someone who was in an interracial marriage could actually, could actually fulfill that through. See that through. You see, what would happen is they would be imprisoned. And I, felt, I came across a story of these two people, Mildred and Richard Loving. What a great name. Mildred and Richard Loving, who found themselves imprisoned because the love that they had for each other was greater than the difference of their skin colors. And they found themselves in prison. But see, they stood, they took a stand so that I, with my wife, can live in a, in a free, I, we can live freely, I can enjoy the beauties of being in an interracial relationship and, you know, I can look at my children, those caramel-colored children, and they are, they are a, they're a consequence of love. But someone had to take a stand for that so that I could have a seat. I want to ask you, what about you? Who, who do you think took a stand so that you could be sitting here today? I just want you to think about that. You see, the reality is, because it's just the way we do things now, we can lose sight of the fact that someone had to make a stand for that. Sometimes we take for granted the comfort of our seats because we don't take time to contemplate the cost. And in so, you know, the danger of losing sight of that is that we become so familiar and we get entitled to our seat that we can miss its value. That seat came with a cost. So I want to ask you this morning, are you sitting comfortably? Are you sitting comfortably? So why do we stand? We take a stand because, I'm hoping, let's see if this is actually going to work right now. Press down, go across. Yes. We take a stand because there is something that's within us a core value, a belief system, something that we hold dear to be true, gets crossed, right? That's why we stand. We stand because something that we hold, something we value, gets either challenged, and we actually say, no, we're not going to stand for that. We're not going to allow this to be the status quo. We have to make a difference, so we take a stand. We stand to protect and fight because we won't accept the status quo. We stand because we want to see change. You see, the problem is today, the value system, the things that we hold true, the things that we're supposed to hold true, in our society, they're broken. Anyone know that this morning? The values in our society, values of loving one another and protecting one another and peace and respect and honor for life. You see, these things are broken. But the issue is we're so bombarded with these messages that they just become our norm, don't we? We turn on the TV, we go on social media, we go on to Twitter, we go on Instagram. It's bombarding, bombarding with all this negativity, all this darkness that we just think, oh, well, that's just the world we live in. And the thing that's supposed to come against our hearts and break our hearts now just becomes the norm. 
own. Look, there's another child dying in Africa. Oh, there's another refugee washed on the floor. There's another young person lost to knife crime. Oh, what's on Love Island? Oh, that looks quite good. The things that we're supposed to take a stand for, we don't do anymore because they become our norms. You see, what happens is in our society, the darkness has been so entrenched in our culture that we can't see it anymore. It's a great film, and um, it's called uh, The uh, the, uh, the Usual Suspects. Anyone, anyone seen that movie? With Kaiser Soze. Great film. Kevin Spacey at his best. It's wonderful. But there's a, there's a part of the movie where... Um, one of the main characters, he said, the biggest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. How true is that of our culture today? How true is that when we turn on the TV? It's so entrenched within our communities, within our society, that we can't see the darkness. We can't see the enemy's work because we just take it as, oh, well, that's the norm. I'm speaking to someone today. You see, the more we are immersed in our culture, the more desensitized we become, the more dehumanized we become. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul wrote letters to the church and said, do not conform to the image of this world. Don't let your thinking be like that of your popular culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to renew our minds, friends. We have to not think like popular culture because we will just be emerged and drawn and that which we are supposed to bring will be lost. We have to stand up for the values in our culture. Funny thing was that the value system was broken in Jesus' day too. You know, and Jesus came, in a, in a, he came at a time when the world was fallen, it was broken. And he came to restore our broken value system and to restore humanity back to what it could to be. He looked at the, 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 the values of the earth and he brought kingdom values. He brought kingdom principles and he modeled what it meant to have true life, to have real life, to have the abundant life. In effect, he modeled what it meant to be more human. And you know, Jesus, he came with an unstoppable force. Do we know that? He came in power, a power that was so great that it was able to transform the world. He came in the power of love. He came in the power of love. And that love pushed back the forces of darkness and it transformed the world. You see, love is an offensive sport. It don't play defense, it's on offense. All the sports people in the, world, in the room, they know. Love is an offensive sport. It goes out. It protects. It fights for. Love is a doer. Love is action. Love takes a stand. Love fights. Love protects. There was a gifted writer that wrote these amazing words. We've got to fight, 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 fight for this love. If it's worth loving, if it's worth loving, it's worth fighting for. If it's worth having... It's worth fight. Thank you, Cheryl Cole. I love Girls Aloud. I love Girls Aloud. Thank you. I knew one day those sing-along in the car would, uh, would amount to something. And this love, 
His Spirit, He gives to us. He gives to you and me. He made a stand for love. He protected and He asks us to do the same. We have to hold on to those kingdom values and we have to make a stand. Are you with me? You see, true justice is a reflection of God's nature of love. And in the face of injustice, love stands up, love stands in, and love stands out. If you have a Bible, I'd love you to, um, we're going to read a story, a a passage uh, in John 8. I have it here, but if you don't have one, I'll read it to you. It's okay. And it's a really great story. It's a story that if you've been around church culture, you probably would know. It's a story that you would probably recognize. John chapter 8. Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again. And soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then, in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of committing adultery. And they made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they say to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death such a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus He didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answered their questions. So Jesus stood up. And he looked at them and said, let's have the man who's never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent down again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, Her accusers slowly left the crowd, one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with the convicted conscious, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking round, she said, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on be free from a life of sin. It's a great story. I wonder, have you ever been on the train or on a, on a public transport and seen one of these signs? Priority seating. And the thing is, you're always really careful like when you're sitting there because you don't want to be the person who didn't notice that pregnant lady, right? Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. You can take the seat. Yeah. But it's true, we're always on tenterhooks, like when the train is really packed and you looked around, it's like, okay, you know, it's a priority seat. And the funny thing about it being a, a, a priority seat is that we, we recognize the value that that person or that individual, whether it be uh, they're carrying a beautiful babe or they're wearing the crown of old age. We value, we acknowledge the significance and value of that individual so we stand up, Right? That's why we stand up, because we 
accept that their need or their priority is greater than ours. And I think, you know, Jesus does something really similar in the story. Just to kind of set the background, I want to set the scene for you. So Jesus' fame at this point is spread like wildfire. You know, everyone knows about Jesus. He's got loads of followers. And he's just had a, they've just had what's called the, te- the Feast of Booths. So a couple of chapters before, he's standing at the temple and he makes this claim. He says, I am the living water. Anyone who wants to drink can come from me. So effectively, he's saying he is the Messiah. And then what happens is, is that the crowd are torn between the two. They're torn. Some people think, oh, this is, this is the Messiah. And others are saying, oh, I'm not really, not really too sure about this guy. But he does it in a public place. And what that means is that the Pharisees, they kind of get rattled by this. They get real ticked off. So they're thinking, ah, what we need to do is kind of catch this guy. Let's orchestrate the perfect situation where it's just lose-lose. It's just a lose-lose situation for Jesus. So you can see that they bring this lady out. They orchestrate this scene to humiliate Jesus. Because it'll come out of two, two things will either happen. So he'll either say, go ahead and stone her. To which he'll be put in prison because the Jewish people at that time had not been given the right to order executions. Or he would let her go and the people that were following him who were the Jews were like, oh, he's broken the law. So this situation, this, this scenario has been orchestrated for him. And you know, they picked, this, they picked this very scenario because it wasn't done by random. They picked this one specifically because for the, for, for the kids in the room, I'll kind of tone this down, but for centuries, traditional Middle Eastern culture had understood that the honor of the family was attached to the purity behavior of its women. You kind of understand what I'm saying, right? It was the women's purity or their behavior in that area, which, made, which gave honor to the family. Thus, in traditional village life, women who violated this purity were sometimes martyred or killed by their own families. But this woman is dragged in front of Jesus. Everybody is sitting down, remember, and is dragged in front of him. She's got no rights. She's got no voice. She doesn't even have a name. No opportunity to tell or explain her side of the story. Did she even have a choice in this? Was she coerced or abducted or even forced? I want to ask you a quick question. Never really thought about this, but this jumped out to me. How does a group of religious professionals catch someone in the act? I mean, like, come on. That's a bit weird, right? It's like, oh, we found these two. So something just does not sit right from the get-go. Jesus knew the law. He knew that according to Moses' law, her fate was already decided. With all eyes on Jesus, he had to make a choice. You see, that lady's value at that very moment was just a pawn in a play to discredit Jesus. She was just a pawn. And what I found fascinating when reading this, this uh, particular passage was um, Jesus' body 
positioning in the narrative of the story. We learn that he's seated and teaching. He bends down to write to make his statement and then Jesus stands up. You see, this woman represents all the inequalities and the injustices of that time and those that we face today. She represents those whose lives were less than or those who were used as pawns to serve the needs of others, those who are disqualified, those who are hurting, the marginalized, the misfits. That's who this woman represents. That's why she's got no name, she's got no face, she's got no voice, because she could be anyone. She could be anyone. She was a representation of a broken world, or she was a representation of those that just don't fit in. And you see what Jesus does? Jesus stands up. He stands for her value. He stands for her significance. You see, what Jesus is modeling here to us as a church is that we need to be able to see the value in other people. We need to go beyond their label or their typecast or their, what they've done yesterday or what they're doing now. We need to see the people for who they are, the beloved of Jesus Christ. See, no one's off limits Nobody is off limits. But who are we going to stand up for? Whose value is God highlighting that you need to notice this morning? For you guys in school, there's not many of you in the room today. But it could be that kid with learning difficulties that nobody wants to be around. Or that other kid that's wearing last year's hand-me-downs. They haven't got the new fresh kicks. What about the girl who takes pictures of herself and sends it to the boys, but really who deep down inside is heartbroken because their parents are going through something? What about that person? Who's going to stand up for her? What about us in the workplace? What about that guy who had an affair? Everybody knows. Everyone's talking about it. Who's going to stand up for him? Who's going to see beyond his failing and see his value? Or the girl who would just do anything to experience the love of a man? Who will stand up for her? Oh, this one really gets me. What about the young man? Who picks up a knife because his best friend has just been killed. Who's going to stand up for him? You see, Jesus stands up for the one. He stands up for the one. In a crowd full of people sitting, he stood up for the one. And when he makes his statement, all the accusers leave one by one until finally Jesus is left alone with the woman, it says in verse 12, standing there in front of him. You see, I want to encourage you this morning that when the accuser wants to come after you or the enemy wants to come with you, just as long as you've got Jesus standing next to you, they may leave you, they may abandon you, they may walk out on you, they may say you're not good enough, but Jesus will always be there with you. He will always be the last man standing. And I want to encourage someone this morning, someone maybe who feels in a lonely place, maybe someone who feels in a place where they've done something wrong. Maybe they're the person who did those things. I want to tell you, 
that Jesus asks you this morning, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? I don't. Jesus is always the last man standing. Why? Because Jesus stands, he promises to stand with us, never to leave us nor forsake us, and he stands up for the one. And I want us to be a church. May we be a church that doesn't get lost in the crowd and stands up for the one. Okay. So Jesus doesn't only stand up, he stands in. And I love this one because, you see, the Pharisees only told a half-truth, right? They only kind of half-baked this thing. The law actually says that both of them, if they were both caught in the act, both need to, be, both need to have the uh, whatever, you know, whatever happens after that. But where is the guy? We all know it takes two to tango. Where's the guy? I was reading this, I was reading this story thinking, hold on, what is going on here? Where is this guy? You see, this lady, nameless and, sh- and, and, and uh, voiceless, I want you just to imagine her. Imagine you being in that crowd. Imagine you sitting down and she walking in, snatched from the scene of the crime, probably still in the things that she was wearing or maybe not so. Maybe she's in the middle, her head down, hair over her face, so we don't see the pain and the fear in her eyes. Maybe she clutches her shoulders to um, save any dignity she has left as she stands and she waits for her fate to be decided by these men. You see, as Jesus wrote on the ground, he didn't just stand up, he stood in. Where he spoke, she had no voice, but as he spoke, he became the voice of justice. Where she couldn't defend herself, he became her advocate. And as he writes on the ground, these words are what separates this lady from an act of injustice. His word written by and in the finger of love itself changed the trajectory of her life and the course of human history. And it's his word, friends, that does the same today. His word that lives in you and me and the power of the Spirit in his name. You see, we can stand in the gap. We can stand in for people. We can stand in the place for people. He was the voice for the voiceless. And I know we've touched on this a number of times and we've referenced this, but I love what Stu is doing with big love. I love that because the nameless, faceless people in Romania now have a name and they have a voice through Stu. I love what Gavin is doing through Reach Every Generations for the people that are suffering with knife crime and gang violence. The nameless, the nameless voiceless people now have a face and a name through Gavin and Reach Every Generation. I have a friend, she's been, a couple they've been battling with infertility for over 10 years. And the shame and the things that that can actually bring. And she took a stand and she stood in for the ladies who've gone through miscarriages and now she's championing women who've gone through that type of pain. She stood in. I went down to visit some friends in Cornwall a couple of weeks back. And, you know, those guys, they also struggled with infertility. But you see, the thing with those guys, they decided to adopt, which is such an amazing thing. But they stood up because in the black and African and ethnic communities, adoption is seen as a taboo. But they now represent and advocate for adoption to change the lives of these young people from the age of three or four for adoption. They're standing in. 
They're standing in the place. They're saying, look at my face. Listen to my voice. You can't see them, but you can see me. Now, I'm not saying you have to start a treaty. I'm not saying you have to start a charity. But everyone can stand in the place of someone. Everyone can be the voice for someone. Everyone can be the face of someone. I know time is going, but as for me, um, British-born Nigerian, I grew up on the uh, council flats of uh, Barking. And what I grew up with around in that time was really, was really tough. And my parents stood up for me, really. My mum my stood up for education. If you're African in the house, my mum, yeah. Education. <laughs> uh-huh. I had to take a bus at six o'clock in the morning to get to school. That's how you know. They valued education, 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 education. So my parents stood up for education. So I went to a grant-maintained um, affluent school in Upminster. This is that 20 years ago. And I was only one of a handful of black people in the whole school. So I had this dichotomy of life. When I went to school, I saw an image of grandeur and people succeeding and things in life. And when I came home to the council flats in Barking, I saw and related to a people who couldn't really find true value in themselves. I had friends who only really saw their way out was grime, rap, sports, or drugs. And this is really dear to my heart because for me, I feel like, who am I going to stand up for? Who am I going to stand in the place of? And I've asked God that I want to be someone who champions unity and diversity. I want to be someone who champions that whoever you are, whatever background you're from, wherever you come from, that with Jesus, all things are possible. I want that to be what people look at my life and say, that's what he stood for. That's what he stood in for. What about you? What are you going to stand up for? Who are you going to stand in for? Who is going to have a seat because you took a stand? And finally, I'll wrap this one up real quick. Jesus stood out like a sore thumb. You see, it takes courage to stand out against the crowd. His responses didn't make him really popular. I can tell you something. He wasn't flavor of the month. But you see, his actions in the kingdom, it changed, it changed the course of history. And funnily enough, the next sentence he talks about, he actually makes a statement. He says, I am the light of the world. If you read the next verse, chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. And when I, rocked, when I read it, it rocked me because I've heard those words before. I've heard those words in Matthew 5 when he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That's us. That's me and you. That's you and me. The light that we have is so important. The world needs it. It's craving for it. The world is dying because it's not having enough of it. You and me, we have to stand out. It might not be the most popular thing you might have to do. People may walk away from you, but you see what we do when we act in kindness, when we act in love, when we stand up, when we stand in, when we stand out, we push back the forces of darkness and we transform the world. If you think being a Christian is just about getting to heaven, 
then I think we've missed it. I think we've missed it. Jesus said, you don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl? What good is that? You don't hide this gift. We let it shine for the whole world to see. Jesus stood out. And he's asking us to stand out too. I'm not saying we have to be weird. You feel me? I'm not saying we have to act crazy. I'm just saying that we have to give the love of the kingdom to a world that is desperate and needing it. So we want to model, take a leaf out of Jesus' book. Jesus stood up. He stood in. And he stood out. Now, as we close, there's a song we've been singing as part of this, by this justice theme. And I'd love us to sing this song this morning. And if anything that I've said to you resonates, I wonder if you would sing this song with me. The song is called Made for Worship. Made to Worship. And the words go, I'll stand for your name, though a thousand may fall. I'll stand for your goodness, and I will stand tall. See, Jesus is looking for a church who will make a stand, guys. So if you are willing, if you are willing, Jesus is asking you this morning, it's time to take a stand. Are we going to stand? Are we going to stand? Are we going to stand?